Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Total Recall podcast. This is me, Will, and uh, I'm excited. I like this one. Nought to One is one of my favorite topics in the world, and I'm very excited to introduce Shani Shalam to the uh, to the podcast. So welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Will. Uh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Now, I'm excited to talk to you about this because I see a lot of the content you put out online, and I see a lot of the companies that you've been involved in, in technology, uh, mentoring, advising, investing. Um, over the course of your career and I think the naught to one piece to go from what's in there to to making profit from it is um, it's treacherous it's very challenging to get a startup built first of all with a viable product that people actually are interested in above and beyond their mom um, so great to talk to you about it and I think where I'd like to start we were just flowing just getting into this before the you know before I hit the record button is where you know where do you start so somebody has an idea you get pitched all day every day i can imagine by people shani i've got a great idea what do you think you know where do you start in that process to say slow down calm down have you thought about this where where do you go with that yeah so many people be like when they have an idea the first thing they do is they start to build wireframes and if they're technical they start to build a product etc and i i think where i like to start is um uh, you know first of all I, I think a great place to start is by you experiencing that pain point. I think there's nothing like, uh, you know, a person that uh, has experienced the pain point himself and, you know, probably has uh, a deeper understanding of the problem than most people. Um, and many times he might have been in the industry and uh, and so, you know, he kind of uh, uh, was trying to solve that maybe even with the different approaches and sell that to companies. Uh and then uh, I like to start with interviewing people about their pain point. So, you know, better understand kind of, uh, uh, you know, how they go about the problem today. Um, you know, do they, like if someone tells me, yeah, I spend five hours every week, uh, you know, trying to gather the data. You know, I literally had, by the way, someone tell me that yesterday on uh, on an interview. And so... Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, there's there's probably something out there. Um, and so, and I find that, uh, uh, you know, I try to stay away from like theoretical questions of uh, how much would you pay for that and those sort of things. Because I think it's, uh, you know, uh, theoretical questions, you, you have to kind of uh, guesstimate and, mm-hmm. you know, try to predict the future. I, I don't know how much I'm going to pay for that, but... I can tell you what's the cost for me right now. So I have a person at, uh, uh, you know, 120K that's spending, you know, probably 20% of his time, you know, just gathering these reports manually. So uh, so this is why, I, I, this is, I think, a good place to start. I, you know, we call those calls, listen, listening to them. Afterwards, by the way, when you create your pitch deck, just uh, like use a lot of these quotes and, uh so I think that's uh, that's a good place to start. Mm. Um, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, and you know, you might have a question about that down the line. But uh, I I think you know one of the biggest mistakes that founders do is they initially try to sell. They build something and they try to sell that. And 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 I think uh, uh, you know my experience, and I've you know I've uh, I've been through I've worked with probably a dozen startups and half of them I was actually you know full time sometimes the founder the co-founder etc so um don't try to sell try to bring value I think if you bring value and people start using your product and then at some point you say okay enough we've spent 6 months uh, you know you spent 6 months using the product I appreciate mm-hmm. the feedback that you're giving me but you know we're a for-profit company, and so if you see enough value, I'd love uh, you know I'd love for us to talk about transitioning you to uh, you know a paid user. Yeah. Um, when I founded the company, that's literally what I did. My first couple of customers were using us somewhere between four to six months, and after four to six months, I uh, uh, you know I I talked to them about paying, and they said how much. I said eighty k. <laughs> And uh, I thought they're gonna throw me, you know, down the stairs, and and yeah. they didn't even nudge. They were like immediately, yeah, sure, that's fine. And and I was like, I probably underpriced, but yeah, perfectly fine. You know, don't try to optimize for pricing. I mean, you'll get that down the line. Right now, you're just looking for 
some validation. You don't want to spend the next three, four years building something that uh, mm. nobody wants to use. And so you want to as quickly as possible get to, am I providing value or not? Yeah, and I think it's, it's a, I've had some really interesting conversations the last few days. And I always think about data um, from a, you know, from a quantity perspective. I worked with a startup a couple of years ago who actually uh, won Europe's Red Herring Award. And um, they were heavy, a, a data company, you know, based on like psychometric testing. And the founder always said to me that once they get to the number of 50 in terms of their data points, they've got usable data. So I always think, and I, when I talk to people, I say, right, how many people have you actually um, run this past? Oh, two yep. people, two people down the bar and one person who knows me back home. I'm like, okay, that's not enough data together. And the point I'm making, I spoke to a CEO who actually failed in their startup and they didn't do enough testing in terms of, you know, what is the problem that you're facing day by day? What's the real problem that you have? Um, and they built a product with very small information to, to go on and they continue to build features on top of it. And as such, they followed a red ball over a cliff. You know, they could see the ball. Great. I'm nearly at the ball. That ball went over the cliff and the company failed as a result. How many times have, have you seen that where, you know, a founder doesn't perhaps go deep enough into the problem, you know, page one of the pitch deck, this is the problem we are solving. Um, how many times have you come across that? Um, I don't know if I, I've seen that often enough because most of the startups that I work with are kind of at the stage of, uh, you know, we have a product, uh, maybe even, you know, we have a couple of customers, um, you know, but, but kind of a few thoughts around what you said. So, uh, first of all, I think when you're doing informational interviews and, like the best indication talking about data is someone willing to give you the data. So at the end of the day, you know, you're building something that probably requires some real data sets. And so if someone says, hey, you know, when you have something, I'm happy to, you know, integrate that and play around and not you suggesting or asking them, you know, would they be willing to do that? But them actually saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I again, literally had that yesterday, someone, uh, that same person, you know, towards the end of the call was like, uh, oh, you need data? I, you know, I can definitely, you know, I one of the companies I'm working with, I can definitely give you access to the data. Um, so I think this is a, like a strong indication. Mm. Um, the, um, you know, some of the other mistakes that I've seen are, uh, you know, one which I already alluded to is, you know, you, you're trying to get something, you're trying to get your first engagement to, you know, pay you as opposed to like, uh, you know, uh, bringing value. Mm -hmm. um, I think, again, feedback is, you know, super powerful. It's uh, it's probably much more valuable than any whatever any anyone would pay you at this stage. I mean, probably the first couple of customers wouldn't pay much and, uh, mm -hmm. um and 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 I think them using that on an, on a daily basis and you having enough analytics and also on top of that be able to like sit with them for an hour and and you know kind of ask them you know some questions again that will bring more value to your product more value down the line means more uh, mm. um, you know more contracts more logos more money yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's the second thing that I've seen founders, the second mistakes that I've seen founders make. The third one is mostly around people. It's around, uh, um, you know, bringing the right functions and the right time and the right people. I think that uh, this is probably the most expensive mistake because if, you know, if you bring the wrong person, then, you know, it takes about three months to until you figure out that it's the wrong person and you yeah. start having conversations. And before you know it, it's been like six months and that person hasn't produced much. Mm. Um, many times I like, you, you know, you're already you're like with one month, one year of one way and you can't really afford to hire someone, uh, someone else. And so you're kind of mm. stuck with that. And so. I think that like hiring the wrong person is probably the most expensive uh, mistake. 
and uh, and bringing the wrong functions. I mean, uh, every function that you bring at the end of the day, you know, it's not just the person. The person needs resources. They need to spend mm-hmm. money, uh, especially when it comes, you know, I come from the go-to-market side. So you're bringing salespeople, they're expensive. You're bringing SDRs, they need tools. Yeah. You're bringing yeah. marketing people, they need to spend money. So bringing those people too early before you have your first couple of customers using you is, uh, I mean, the first couple of customers, you don't need marketing, you don't need salespeople, you just need to talk to enough people and assuming the problem you solve is big enough, yeah. then, you know, they, they would buy into that. And if you're not able to get to there, doesn't matter if you're like a technical person. I mean, again, you're not trying to optimize myself, just trying to get mm. someone to do that. If you're not able to get there, then no salesperson, no marketing person will help you get there. And um, yeah. and it's like uh, again, you're hiring people and you're pretty much setting them for for failure because because uh, again, if there's no validation for the value, then they're just gonna spend money and get a bunch of inputs that will produce no output. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, and, and I think if I think about the go-to-market side of things. Um, I speak to and have spoken to for many years, you know, founding go-to-market salespeople, founding CEOs, you know, who have to create a go-to-market. And I find a lot of variance in how they go to market. But what, what's your kind of recipe for success? If you, you know, if you're thinking about your methods or people that you've supported, mentored and brought in as your first hire, what have yeah. you seen the most successful go-to-market strategy? You know, is it just to give an example of what's in my mind? You know, do you really go deep into the customer avatar, your customer zebra, what it looks like? Can you paint a picture of it? Do you know how they think, feel, where they can, you know, what's the steps like for you? So uh, that's a great question. So first of all, I think there's no point talking about like building go-to-market or scaling go-to-market again before you have your first couple of customers. Uh, and you have some validation to the value. Again, otherwise you're just spending resources and scaling too early. Um, the, assuming you have those couple of customers, then you have something to work with. And the first thing that I do is I I define like who are we selling to? What's our ICP, ideal customer profile? Which companies are we selling to? Which personas in those companies? Um, you know, what's, uh, you know, what those people look like, well, how, how many years of experience, what's the day looks like, what's the problem. And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, the, and I tell that many entrepreneurs defining, being able to define the problem in one sentence. Uh, I mean, I, I talk to founders and, and they kind of know the problem and they spend five minutes, uh, you know, explaining to me the problem. And I'm like, explain that in you know one sentence and maybe like six words because now you have to go to on your home page you have to like the hero section you have to mm-hmm. write something that probably doesn't go beyond you know four words on the mm-hmm. linkedin profile the, or the title or the youtube channel again all of that or the ad whatever it is or, or even if you're meeting someone like What's the first sentence that uh, that that clearly defines the problem? And I find that that it's more challenging than uh, than you would typically think. So I kind of define again who's the persona, who's the company. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my experience is B two B, so I find that um, uh, you know uh, targeting small mid market uh, companies is probably easier because. If you're a high-growth company, you experience a problem, you're not going to spend six months doing POCs and talking to a bunch of organizations. Mm -hmm. You're going to find the first solution that works for you, and you're just going to, you know, you just need something that's good enough and does the job, as opposed to like enterprises where you have to socialize with, uh, you know, the solution with so many people and do POCs and then Mm. get budget approved and and stuff like that. So as a startup, the one thing you don't have is time. And so you, you want to optimize for time and sales cycle. Um, uh, Depending on the persona, I, um, I start to think about kind of, you know, is it more inbound motion or outbound? Uh, I'm always in favor of like inbound, inbound is, you know, like people reaching out to you. So they're mm-hmm. probably, 
you know, the audio, the point ideally that they're looking for a solution or they're at least aware of the problem as opposed to Alban where you, you many times you, you know, you're trying to like find uh, a needle in a haystack and yeah. one person that has a problem and, and thinks that the problem is big enough. Um, you know, we can talk a little bit, a little bit later on on kind of what inbound channels, etc. Uh, if you're targeting, if your persona is like a senior executive, then uh, they typically don't sign up for trials. They don't, uh, uh, you know, they're probably not going to read your docs. They're, you know, not sure if they're going to read blog posts, etc. And so, yeah. uh, uh, so that's where you probably need to think a little bit more about outbound and. Um, and just one comment about Alban, and I'll take a pause. I uh, I find that uh, like the traditional outbound of uh, you know sending a bunch of emails and asking someone for a meeting, um, you know, I get I wake up every morning, I get like 20, 30 emails like that, and typically the titles start with a question or mm. quick one or something like that, and I mostly delete those. I uh, I think that, uh, you know, instead of asking for a meeting, try to bring value. I find that to work, you know, much more effectively, whether it's, uh, hey, you know, I, I I have a report that I think you might be interested in. Can I send it to you? Or, hey, we're doing this event. Uh, we're doing mm -hmm. a dinner in, uh, uh, and I saw that you, you know, you're based not far from uh, the location. Would you... Yeah, uh, would mind if I extend an invite? And 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 again, I think I call that like warm outbound. You, mm -hmm. you, you, you know, you're not trying to cold call someone and ask him for a meeting because like mm -hmm. a meeting. I get twenty emails like that every morning. If I would take a meeting with each of these twenty meetings, I would, you know, I wouldn't have <laughs> no time to mm -hmm. actually get stuff done. But uh, but if someone's like inviting me to a dinner and I'm gonna meet, you know, like-minded peers. Yeah. And yeah, I don't do that often enough. So I'm like, yeah, I should probably go out a little bit and see kind of uh, talk to my peers and figure out what they're doing. Yeah, that's interesting. So, yeah, I think like for me, the persona, um, you know, the avatar of one's persona is where some people don't go deep enough. And I've, I've spoken to a lot of salespeople um, and actually surprisingly, um, quite recently, I see a lot of people just draw a basic and generic avatar of their perfect customer. It's a head of IT or it's a it's a CTO or it's a head of dev. Okay, great. Tell me more. What, what do you mean? That That's who I sell to. Okay, but what age are they? Where did they go to school? Where did they go to university? Where did they go to college? What are they into? Where do they, you know, create content? Do they share content on Discord, online? You know, create an actual profile of this person like you want to date that person so you know everything about them before you have that engagement and that like you say that's when you can make a real personal approach where you can actually demonstrate that a you've done some homework you know without really doing homework can you really add value to a conversation and i was quite surprised to see that really that people still i suppose try and sell like they might have done 18 months ago um or last year whereas this year's um i think persona of of how people are being sold to and how people are buying is slightly shifted. Um, I think people are buying technology and buying things in a different way now. And I think everybody has to adapt to that and really learn a little bit more about their prospects. You know, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I think like if you're targeting, you know, somewhere, someone in the late twenties, that's, uh, that's probably not married, et cetera, then you will target him on certain chance, maybe YouTube shorts, maybe Instagram, maybe TikTok, so stuff like that. If you're targeting someone in the late 40s uh, with, uh, you know, kids, etc., cetera, uh, it's like a different, uh, mm. yeah. um, you know, literally a different persona, different channels. We care about different things. Uh, you know, the, the language that you use is like mm. different. And mm. so, uh, um, yeah. so, yeah, totally, totally agree yeah. with you. It's a, it's, a, it's, a silly, it's a little mistake, isn't it? But like, you know, the, the head of dev at company A and the head of dev at company B share the same job title, but they are a decade or two apart and how they absorb technologies is worlds apart. Um, that's that's one thing that I was surprised to find. So, you know, go and double down on um, your, your avatar, your perfect customer. 
it's a great start. That's a comment there. So targeting, you know, a dev manager at uh, a company that does like chips or embedded, for example, mm. it's very different. You know, again, it's probably in his late forties, maybe fifties, yeah. etc. Then you know, targeting a dev manager at uh, a startup with or, or you know some social whatever, mm. like something that's that's more like bit. Uh, a blockchain, for example, yeah. yes. it's probably more like in his, you know, early thirties, maybe late twenties. Um, so yeah, I think those nuances are very, very important. By the way, they they care about different things in their life, so success looks very different for them. Yeah. You know, the guy in his fifties is already, you know, thinking about retirement and. Uh, you know, he just wants to, like, you know, maybe his kids are out and he just wants to travel the world. The guy in his 20, um, you know, probably cares more about, like, his, uh, uh, you know, fulfilling himself mm -hmm. and he's just in the beginning of his career. And so maybe he's looking to be a senior manager down the line and looking to learn. So yeah. very, very different personas. Yeah. And again, it all comes back to data, you know, get your MVP right. Make sure that you understand the problem that you're solving, not particularly your product, the problem that you can solve for these people, get the product fit into that, know the data points, talk to as many people, 50 minimum as you possibly can, then make sure that you're very clear on your customer persona. What exactly do they look like? Even how do they breathe? Where do they, what sports do they like as much as you can possibly can? And then the execution model, I suppose, touching into now outbound versus inbound, you can't really do an effective campaign either side of the fence without having that data behind you. Um, there's no way you're going to get inbound traffic if you're not sure on who you're trying to target because the message is going to go to everybody and everybody will then become white noise. So, exactly. yeah, what, what's your kind of perspective on how you, you know, then create an effective, let's start with outbound, you know, what's your, you know, what's Shani's top tip for, um, you know, for creating an effective outbound campaign? Uh, so, you know, I think I kind of uh, talked about that a little bit. So two things. One, uh, I found I find LinkedIn to be super effective. So like the response rate on LinkedIn is like, you know, mm -hmm. five times even more than, uh, uh, you know, than emails. Actually, probably okay. more than five times because I think like on LinkedIn, probably somewhere between one out of five, yeah, I think I, I get about like one out of five response rate um, as opposed to like emails. The mm -hmm. second thing, and that's probably one of the reasons why I'm getting one out of five is I, I don't ask for a meeting. I, uh, you know, if you're early stages and, you know, then say I'm building customer advisory board or, uh, you know, I'm just looking for some feedback or I'm just, again, you know, don't don't try to... On that first message, mm -hmm. uh, if you if the company has a little more is a little more established, etc., then uh, I think things like uh, uh, again, you know, doing events and uh, and inviting them to an exclusive event, you know, works very well. Uh, last year we did um, an event for engineering leaders uh, here in the Bay um, you know, we got about 120 to sign up. This was post-COVID, so everybody was just looking to, you know, kind of get out and, mm -hmm. you know, talk mm -hmm. to people. And uh, and especially as an engineering leader, and this is, again, really understanding the persona, you know, I want to know what my peers are doing. I want to know how they manage the teams. I want to know how they structure the teams. I I really want to know what they're doing in terms of like AI and co-pilot and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And not just what I read on blog posts, but actually talk to people. And so we kind of did an event where we did a bunch of round tables and uh, the feedback was, was just amazing. Mm. Uh, and then last, uh, last comment about Albon, and this is again a mistake that I see, especially inexperienced people do is... Uh, um, you know, they try to pitch the solution. Um, I'm, you know, again, my mindset, if I have a problem, I'm, I'm, I always tell people, think about what someone would Google. So, uh, 
I probably am not Googling the solution, I'm Googling the problem. And so, mm -hmm. and that's also what I found to be very effective when, when people are sending me outbound is if they say something along the lines of, um, hey, Shani, are you frustrated that you don't have enough time in the day? Yes, I am. You know, <laughs> if you were to come back, if, if you were to write, uh, hey, I have a time machine, then... Okay, what am I going to do with that time machine? So it's uh, so you know, don't try to pitch the, pitch the solution. Try to uh, uh, you know assert for the problem, if you will. And I, yeah, yeah, it's much easier to connect mentally. Again, I'm going to spend about mm. 15, 20 seconds on this email. If it's a problem that I'm thinking about, and if it's a problem that, uh, again, maybe I experienced that this morning, mm -hmm. it's immediately like the first sentence is going to, you know, it's going to click for me. And I'm likely to respond. I've done that a few times. I'm probably, I'm, you know, I'm an early adopter to a lot of uh, tools and solutions. I, I'm like... Um, you know, it's the industry is evolving so fast. So the way yeah. that you get an edge is by trying a lot of solutions and every now and then adopting one of them. That's kind of what sets me apart from a lot of other CEOs and a lot of other, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people in my industry is the fact mm -hmm. that I, I'm like, uh, oh yeah, this, you know, this problem, I, you know, you can use A, B, and C. And so I, yep. again, this is where I, my value comes and, uh, and so I think that uh, if you send me an email and say, here's the problem that we solve, or are you experiencing that problem? I'm very likely to respond yeah. as opposed to like pitching the solution. Yeah, I think it's really important isn't it, to stick to the basics and things like that. You know, what's your story and why should somebody care? You know, what does that person care that you're reaching out to them? You know, what's the problem that you can actually solve and who have you solved it for that's evidence of that fact? You know, what do you know that they don't know? And you, that's kind of what you have to bring to life, right? Um, and I think, again, like data, for me, like I love to, to try and find patterns in things. So where I've done outbound, um, you know, I'll track all touch points. I'll track all ways of methods of getting in touch with people on a spreadsheet. I'm pretty old school. And then I'll highlight boxes and then I'll look for patterns to say, right, okay, that typically works the most with that demographic. You know, this is the outreach and this is what works. So I can eventually find patterns in the data that you can then double down on i don't know if you're as meticulous as that but that tends to work for me anyway um yeah. all of these things here i mean typically we've we've touched on having customers already in play if you're going into a cold you know environment where there's no customers would you just apply the same tactics you know is, is it a similar cookie cutter kind of right let's go and take this market by storm this is how we get our first customer your first customer is likely to be, you know, a friend, um, uh, you know, a colleague, maybe someone you got introduced to. Again, your first customer is not going to be, in my view, it shouldn't be neither outbound. Uh, I mean, uh, you can try inbound, but I, I think that before you have a customer, it's very hard to define the profile. So your first customer might be, again, you've done informational interviews and, you know, one of these uh uh, uh, interviews the the individual at the end of the meeting said uh, when you have something I'd love to try it out or something like that so uh, your first customers are not going to come from neither inbound nor outbound yeah. you know they're gonna they assuming you've been in the industry and you kind of have a little bit of uh, an intimate knowledge of the palm then you probably have peers that you can uh mm you know, that are willing to try it out. And so, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, advisor, I, maybe again, it needs to be someone close to you mm. that's willing to take a, a, you know, a leap of faith and give you some feedback, etc. Yeah. Even if you get someone that's like, you know, Alban, I'm not sure to what extent they'll actually, I mean, typically first uh, early versions of the product are very, you know, buggy and the user experience isn't great. So I'm not sure if they're going to actually spend enough effort to like, you know, get on board it and use the mm -hmm. buggy port and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Nor will they give you the, the, you know, the feedback that you're looking for. Yeah, it's the, it's the part of the process that I call identifying your low-hanging fruit. 
Um, you know, I think if you can identify what your low hanging fruit is and who it is and then who their low hanging fruit is, you can kind of almost see the path to your first customer uh, in doing so, which typically you've already got lined up anyway. Either you've spun this out of your first customer as a tech product or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, I understand. And in your kind of, um, you know, in your experience, once you have those first customers of the fun the fun part for me comes where you then scale it and you get through you know the gauntlet of year one two and three you know there are stats for every year in business one two and three the failure rates are still relatively high even if you get to year three i think the stats are still you know uh, plus 30 30 percent so you have to always completely reinvent your sales process every year how do you do that how do you use the data and how do you then um, iterate your sales process and your go-to-market so that you're not dropping off and chasing that red ball over a cliff? Yeah, good good question. And, you know, kind of before I answer one other comment, uh, um, the keep in mind that, like, once you start uh, charging customers and once you start, like, building that MRR, AR, whatever it is, then you're measured on that. So, if you you know if you get a few customers to pay and then you plateau for a few months and now you have to start explaining that on your next funding round so uh so again don't don't be in a hurry to i i, I think if you get a bunch of customers to use your product and once you feel like you can actually start scaling that you have a conversation with them on paying and and again you actually build that hockey stick that, that people are talking about, then that's, uh, uh, you know, that's much better as opposed to like explaining why you had a first set of customers, you know, you convert them to paying customers and then, you you know, for six months, you weren't able to get another customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, that's about that. In terms of like building the playbook, so... Uh, I've done that a few times. So typically... Um, yeah, so I, you know, I built those playbooks uh, a few times. So um, um, what I like to do is uh, I always like to manage a few opportunities myself. And that way I can, uh, you know, I can always get a feel for, you know, objections, um, um, you know, and, and and try one different experiments and see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I find that uh, um, then also the kind of the feedback and, and the tips that I give the other sales reps are, uh, you know, they're much more tangible, they're, they're, you know, based on experience as opposed to like, uh, you know, reading from some book or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I'm, all, I'm, I'm an early adopter, so I, I always try like, you know, I... I, I go on uh, I'm the I'm still the kind of person that goes on webinars and stuff like that and I I you know hear ideas from other people and then I try them out and so um, um, and I'll, I'll give an example in a second but uh, so typically you know first playbook I I, I record all my calls. Um, you know, I literally create a Google Doc. I'll start writing down, like, uh, you know, here's what you present in the first five minutes. Here are the questions that you ask. Uh, um, you know, uh, you jump on a demo. Here's like what you present. Here are the questions that you'll typically get asked. Here are the answers, etc. And again, this is a living document, so we're constantly changing and evolving that document. Uh, you know, as the product mm-hmm. changes, we learn new things, uh, etc. Um, one, uh, uh, you know, by the way, one example of uh, like something that I tried, and again, I tried by accident, but it actually, you know, it it worked. Uh, you and I were on a conference a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I started taking pictures of like people that I spoke to on the booth, uh, you know, with their badge. And I did that accidentally just so I I wouldn't uh, like forget to follow up with them, etc. And um, and then uh, and again, those were the ones that I didn't schedule on site. And so uh, those ones that I didn't, I afterwards when I followed up with them, I actually sent them the picture that I took. Yeah, nice. And 
And the response rate was much, much better. I mean, think about it. They get a bunch mm. of follow-ups from a bunch of companies and suddenly they get someone that, uh, <laughs> and, and half of these companies, they probably don't remember whether they talk to or not. And they yeah. think it's like some automated email and suddenly they get an email with their picture. So one, they know it's not automated Two, They, uh, um, you know, it, 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 mm-hmm. it, it I differentiate myself versus all the, you know, all the noise and clutter. So I, uh, it worked very well. <laughs> so you, I just that's, this. that's the difference though, isn't it? To try something different. I mean, at that very conference where I, I saw you, um, I was using ChatGPT, the app, and I was um, putting the name of the company in there and saying what compare, you know, how does this company compare to their nearest competitor? And I was walking up to the CEO and saying, I just put your company into ChatGPT. And they're like, no way. What did it say? And you build that immediate, like, you know, that, yeah. that common ground. So trying different things, I think that's the fun part of sales for me. Like so many people get like anxiety around selling and, and get the fear of rejection, uh, paralyzing them in how they're actually approaching, you know, these conversations. When in fact you can make it fun, you know, if you've got a day of cold calling ahead of you, try something different on every single call. Like years ago, we used to, um, pick somebody that you can cold call into as practice somebody completely obscure and i i cold called i think it was the head of the nba in the usa just to practice my pitch and it's just one of those you know make it make it as fun as you possibly can and do something different to stand out exactly that and i think it it leads me into my next question nicely actually a lot of founders um especially in dev first organizations they are not salespeople. And, you know, the amount of conversations that I've had, that I've seen um, online around CEOs who are hands-off sales, and a lot of people are saying, you have to sell, you're a founder, you've got to sell, you've got to sell, you've got to sell. There seems to be that, you know, that battle there going internally in their minds, I'm a techie, I don't sell. What, what's your take? Um, so I, I don't think about it as like selling. First of all, Taking a step back, as a CEO of a company, you're going to spend 90% of your time selling, hmm. whether you like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, then maybe you shouldn't start a company or maybe you should. <laughs> I mean, you should rethink that because you're going to sell to uh, candidates that you're trying to bring on board. You're going to sell to investors. You're going to sell to prospects. So you know, you're going to go to conferences at, uh, you know, the first couple of years because you're not going to have, you know, uh, a 10 people events team in the first couple of years. So mm. whether you like it or not, you're going to be selling. Um, like I said, I think at least the first couple of customers don't try selling. I mean, it's not, uh, you're not a salesperson. I think, you know, you should actually embrace that as opposed to trying to fight that. Um you 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 appear so again you probably experience the problem that you're trying to solve you can talk about it uh you know probably and i'm pretty technical but um mm. you know you can probably talk about that with a level of credibility that's uh you know higher than you know a salesperson or even a technical salesperson like myself and so um you and so I think again, bring that credibility and and I think it will go a long way. Don't try to optimize for pricing and maybe you're not gonna do a great job at qualifying them or a great job at uh, like mm. uh, you know optimizing pricing, optimizing the sales process, etc. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. You're just trying to get them to use your product. Um, you can always you know, find a good advisor that, uh, that like, you know, has been for those years and, uh, and maybe will give you a little bit of guidance around, uh, uh, you know, how do I convert those never ending POCs and stuff like that? When, mm-hmm. when's the right time to pull the trigger? Yeah. I've, you know, I've, I've been involved in a few companies at these, these stages as an advisor and, uh, and, you know, kind of, uh, spend some time with the founder thinking, you know, for the, sales process of these uh of these opportunities um yeah but uh, again don't you know don't try to fight it and realize that uh 
you know whether you like it or not you're always going to be selling and yep. uh, um and i think you know the good founders um uh, many times they actually evolved into that world. So again, they're probably not going to be the greatest sales managers. They, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to run focus meetings and, um, you know, and mentor sales reps, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're at least like, you know, they're, they're learning and they're asking the right questions and they, uh, um, and they embrace the fact that at the end of the day, you know, a customer or a company, a startup mm. lives or dies by its customers, not by product and features and stuff like that. And I think that's uh, that's another mistake that I've seen a lot of startups do is they're so, so sure about, hey, I'm just going to build this feature and then I'm going to build that feature and then the next yeah. feature. It's a never ending story. And uh, as opposed to like, I'm going to spend some time with my customers and if two customers said that uh, this is the use case or this is what they would love to see in the product, then maybe I should embrace that. So many times they kind of, uh, they don't spend enough time with their customers, especially if, uh, you know, the customers are bored and they actually build the product based on uh, like in a vacuum as opposed to like building the product based on true customer feedback. Yeah, and it's exactly the conversation I've had today. In fact, when I use the analogy of um, chasing the ball over over the cliff, so focused on the features that everything else was blocked out completely um, and the company failed and they didn't realize that it was failing because there was, once they get this feature out, everything will be okay. This product, this feature release will solve the problem and it ran out of runway. Um, very sad. By the way, a true be. example, you know, personal example, my first startup, I... Uh... It was in an industry that I knew super well. I, I was the president of another company prior to mm. that, you know, sold to, got that company from the first five customers to over 150. That company got acquired for like $200 million. So I felt like I knew the industry very well. I knew exactly what's needed. And uh, luckily, we spent less than three months like building an MVP. And uh, and we started, uh, and then I reached out to a lot of, uh, you know, folks that I've worked with, and mm-hmm. I started, you know, showing that to them. And 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 again, they had objections that I didn't even think about. And, uh, and again, luckily, we didn't. We only spent three months building something. We could actually repurpose a lot of that into something, um, you know, else that they wanted and, mm-hmm. you know, spend another... I don't think it was even two months, uh, you know, uh, rebuilding the product and then went back to the same people that gave me the feedback. And this time they liked it more and mm-hmm. they could actually use that. And so that's how I got my first set of customers as well. So, uh, so again, even if I'm like super sure that this is like the product that people need, I, uh, mm. And listen, it's it's very hard to you know to know, and there's nothing like uh, you know getting feedback as quickly as possible. And again, listening to your customers' uh, feedback as opposed to like being sure that you you know exactly yeah. what you need to build. Again, data. You know, ask hard questions as often as you possibly can. Now, I think that's yeah. one thing that so many salespeople that I've seen um, are afraid to ask hard questions because they don't like hard answers. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of, there's one quote that sticks in my mind, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was either Zig Ziglar or Jeb Blunt, who have both written very good sales books. And it was demonstrate the value and the price will take care of itself. And I think, you know, a lot of the startup founders should really be able to demonstrate the value. And, you know, with enough hard conversations with customers or would-be customers, they should really be able to bring that value to life, which should take some of the anxiety away, you know, to think I'm not actually selling here. I'm just demonstrating the value of my product and people should respond if I've got my customer persona right. Yeah, think about, uh, you know, I've, I've been using Netflix for I don't know how many years. I I remember like the, the first time I signed up, uh, you know, to kind of the online version, they, they had a, you know, rental business that they would like send you CDs or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, when they transitioned online, I, th- I think the, you know, it was like $199 or $599 or something like that. 
today I'm paying Netflix like over 20 bucks. And so yeah. it's uh, initially they weren't trying to optimize for pricing. They were just saying, uh, you know, would someone pay for that? And and again, I can think yeah. of many, many other um, examples like that. Um, you know, one other thing that uh, that's, that's uh, you asked me earlier about, uh, you know, kind of mistakes and, and, and I, I want to talk about one other mistake that I've seen companies do more often than not, uh, especially at the scale stage is, uh, uh, you know, they they sold uh, to the first couple of customers and now they're trying to kind of uh, scale and and maybe they even hired like, uh, you know, they're, they're like looking to start building that sales team mm-hmm. and um so one always hire two people, uh, especially as your first uh, uh, webs, because you know, kind of, uh, you have to figure it out, and uh, and you you know, two people are more likely to figure it out than one person. You're trying to build mm. the playbook, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's a it's a tough world to be the first. Uh, uh, you know, whether it's an SDR, whether it's a salesperson at a at a startup. And uh, and you really don't have you know uh, people to like consult with and brainstorm with etc. So always hire two. Also, if one of them, if one fails, then if you only have one data point, you don't know whether they fail because of uh, them, because of the product, because of the mm-hmm. you know they yeah. didn't get enough support etc. If you have two, then you have more data points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the mistake that many make is like hiring, um, you know, someone that comes from a larger company and has never done startups. And uh, and I can't tell yeah. you, especially at like a VP role or head of sales, uh, I can't, you know, say how many times I've seen that uh, startup hires, uh, uh, you know, someone who was a regional VP at Salesforce or, yeah. or something yeah. like that. And Again, those people, they uh, first of all, they they don't want to get their hands dirty. They want to manage and build a team. And I think at an early stage startup, you it's really about rolling up your sleeves and getting things done. Mm. They're used to having like a product marketing team that will give the messaging and campaigns and uh, and build assets for them and maybe uh, an SEO, a product person that's going to jump and do demos mm. and. Uh, uh, oh, and you need to do infosec and security audits. There's a security team that's gonna, yeah. you know, help you go for those audits. And none of that actually existed at a startup. At a startup, especially at the early stages, you know, as the salesperson, you're doing so many things that uh, that are non-sales. You're you you're creating documents, you're creating presentations, you mm-hmm. you know, you're demoing the product, you're answering questions and stuff like that. And so I. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, um, and and more than anything, I mean, startups are, it's like one big chaos and, uh, you know, you really got to feel comfortable with that, you know, type of atmosphere and, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's a fast moving environment, uh, you know, nobody's going to give you a playbook, nobody's going to give you one month of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, onboarding and, and stuff like that, uh, you know, by by your... By the end of your first week, you're already jumping on the call and uh, you know and doing demos and stuff. So um, that's probably kind of at the scale stage. That's probably the most uh, common mistake that I've seen. Yeah, and there's there's always a tell for me because obviously you know I'm in the business of speaking to those people day in day out. You know, I speak to the CEOs and I speak to the would be first sales hires, and typically some of the tells that I look for when I'm interviewing these people. Um, are where they are asking what the support is around them. What do I get SDR support? Do I get leads for marketing? Do I get this? Who's doing that for me? And I'm like, look, this isn't quite the right role for you. You need probably you know one to two plus, not naught to one. And the people that I've spoken to who have gone to succeed are typically asking me, well, not even asking me questions. They're telling me what they're going to come in and do and how they're going to set the world on fire. You know, the la- the last person that I hired, he basically he literally said to me. If I start in that company in the next two weeks, because I know this buying cycles of the customers that they're going after, I'll make a million dollars in revenue in the next year. 
And I'm like, that's the person to send in there. You know, not somebody, mm, do I get SDR support? Where's my lead coming from? That person typically might not survive. They might, they might not. Um, you know, whereas somebody who's chomping at the bit, who was sending, send me in there, send me in, I'm ready to go. You know, that's, that's kind of, you know, I've got like some tells that I look for. Anyway, I digress. Um, so I think the, the nuances of, of how we kind of get this to market for me is all underpinned by the more emotive side of it. And I'm very interested in psychology of people and how they interact. You know, I read a great book by the guy um, who was in the FBI, Joe Navarro, his name is. He's, got, he's written some great psychology books, which is applicable to sales. Um, what do you find? Is there a, like a commonality between you, your successful hires that you've made, successful CEOs, in what I call their why? You know, is, is it their why? Is their motivations like, you know, typically around something specific what do you what do you look for there um for when when i talk to ceos or when i talk to go to market folks i guess if you want to de divide the two feel free but ultimately is there a common thing that you see in these people ceo or you know go to market salespeople that that you think right okay that's the market for success yeah good question i uh so CEOs, I would say, you know, I'm looking for a couple of things. I'm looking for, um, I'm looking for people that, uh, uh, you know, they're passionate about, uh, you know, kind of the problem that they solve. Because again, they're going to spend, uh, I would say this is probably more me as an investor. They would spend the next 10, 15 years kind of building that company and they're going to experience tons of roller coasters and they're going to have good days and bad days. And mm. uh, and again, I think at the end of the day, what, what keeps you running is uh, um, is is whether you're, uh, you're that passionate about the problem and about the industry and mm. you actually see yourself again doing that for the next uh, 20 years. Um so that's one. Uh, like I said, I, I think, you know, great CEOs, uh, you know, hire great people. So I, I, you know, I typically, I talk to the people that they hired and I want to make sure that I can, you know, learn from them as much as I can teach and I can, uh, you know, they're like an exceptional bunch. Because uh, again, you know, there's a saying that A people hire A people and B people yep. hire C people. And I, I've seen that, you know, at quite a few startups. Um, um, so th those are kind of what comes to mind. Um, when it comes to hiring, um, um, you know, go-to-market people, especially sales reps, uh, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm looking for that, uh, you know, startup experience. So someone who's been for a startup or an early stage or, you know, again, knows what he's getting into. Um, I'm looking for someone who's curious and uh, ask questions. I think the, the you know, sales has changed over the last, you know, I don't know, 15 years. 15 years ago, you would try to, excuse my language, but shove a solution that someone probably doesn't need. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I think nowadays when there's so much information out there and there's so much competition, uh, you know, it's much more about, uh, you know, kind of understanding the, uh, you know, the, the prospects problem and trying to figure out if you, if you have the right solution for that. And if yeah. you do, then convincing him about that. Um, and so I think that, uh, the, the best way to kind of, um, uh, you know, do that is to ask a lot of questions and, Generally, be interested in uh, you know in kind of the prospect and uh, you know what's the problem and I, I even find out about myself. I literally, I mean, if I get on uh, you know calls five times a day, then you know if I'm not interested in kind of what problem they have and maybe you know getting some insights and using that insight on other calls, then I'm probably going to be bored by. Mm. By the second call and I'm going to be like bumped that I actually have to start my day and, you know, yeah. talk to another prospect. And so uh, um, I typically look for people that have, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't just, you know, 
the right place at the right time because like that's for most startups that's not the case mm. if you you know if you've been with slack at the early days or uh you know you join open ai in you know early on uh i mean the only thing you needed to do is just be there and uh yeah, and yeah. that's it i mean they were going super fast there wasn't much competition etc so again, most startups, that's not the case. Most startups are not open AI. And so you, you're like facing a lot of objections and you don't have the social proof and you're trying to, you know, best case, you have just a handful of customers and you're trying yeah. to convince the next one. And, uh, and, you know, the product isn't perfect and it's missing features and you have to like commit to stuff, uh, you know, to get the contract, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, underway. And so... Um, so I typically, you know, I, I, the way that I, that I, you know, ask for that is I, I, I typically start with, uh, okay, who did you, who are you, who are your customers or who did you sell to at, uh, you know, companies such as such. And, uh, yeah. and they're like, yeah, we sold to bank of America and American express and JP Morgan chase and Walmart and target and, and Disney and, and, you know, so I pick one of those logos. Okay. You mentioned Disney. I mean, talk to me a little bit more about kind of that, um, uh, you know, who did you sell to? What was the problem that they were looking to solve? Yeah. How long did it take? What was the, the deal value, et cetera. And, and typically when you start to ask those questions, it's very hard for someone, some like typically they don't expect that. So, yeah. Uh, if they've really done that, then they'll be able to tell a story and actually, yeah. you know, tell you what was the real problem that they were looking to solve and the pain. And, Is that right? That and they, they would remember, like by heart, the name of the mm. person, title, and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, and it's very hard to fake it. And yeah. And then also for those questions, you actually learn how they operate. Was it? Uh, yeah. They, they, I don't really remember the objections because my SE was actually handling that and. Uh, <laughs> And I don't really remember how I came about them because my SDR was prospecting to them or I yeah. or actually an existing customer. And I just, uh, you know, I did a renewal and maybe I got a little bit of upsell. So mm. I think, you know, that really tells a lot. It's very hard for someone to like really fake the, Emotion. you know, answers to questions that are so mm. detailed. Yeah, it's it's funny really because like in in my first startup, um, I remember my first deal and my first startup was funded and I had a very understanding and a very patient investor. Um, and it took me three or four months of iteration of um, exactly what market I was going after, which is why now I, I fine tune my customer, you know, my avatar um, until I finally realized what market I was going after. And it so happened to be cybersecurity. And my avatar was the CEO of funded cyber startups in Israel. So imagine cold calling into these people, you know, this was six, seven years ago, and it wasn't that common really for an English recruiter to be phoning in cold calling. And the first person that that gave me a chance was, um, I remember him and I still talk to him this day, and he was the CEO of a company that had spun out of Albit Systems. And he's like, how did you get this number? It's like, who is this? And I was like, just hear me out. Just listen to my story and then you can tell me to go or not. And it's like, you've got like 20 seconds. And he became a great customer. And nice. the, the pain that I went through to get to that point for that first deal was months of no, no. Who are you? How did you get this? No, no. And it hurt. It hurt every day. It hurt, you know, reinventing myself every day. You can't fake that, like you say. And when I'm talking to people now who are salespeople and I want to know, do they know what that pain is? You know, because there's no point making a hire as a sales, as a company with limited runway that you're not sure about, that hasn't felt the pain, that doesn't know what it feels like to go through that three, four, five months of, you know, get off the phone, get off the phone, stop it, never call me again, unsubscribe, you know, because they, they'll just leave. And then you've, like you said earlier in the call, you've, you've wasted three or four months. So it's really important, you know, to any of the CEOs that might be listening or CROs, um, you know, to really hone in on that pain have you felt the pain of being in a startup for me it's the most important thing right yeah exactly so mm. very hard to fake it like, like you just i mean you literally just told the story that uh um again it's very hard to come up with this story on the fly if i'm gonna ask yeah. you how you got into that customer so yeah
yeah for sure um i'm um, look we we could talk all day for about this it's my favorite yeah. topic so um look, i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go and enjoy the rest of your day i know you're stuck in the garage so um hence why i think we've got the cows in the background as a fake background um but shani it's it's a real pleasure to talk to you again um and i know i still owe you a bottle of something in the post and it's very difficult for me to send booze to the usa but i'm i'm that's, gonna get it okay. <laughs> i'm gonna I, get uh, it to you i'll have to come to uh to the uk then so gives me please, an excuse yeah please do I've, I've got somebody coming over from uh from israel actually tomorrow and i'm gonna take him to see the peaky blinders gin facility so that'll be exciting <laughs> nice. yeah but look, go and enjoy your weekend. Thanks again. And I hope everybody listen uh, benefits. And if, you know, people improve their processes by 1%, we've, we've added some value to the world, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like, uh, you know, you had really great questions. And uh, yeah, really appreciate that. It was very interesting. And and again, we're just like, uh, we're talking. So it's, uh, exactly. uh, yeah. I'm sure that some people would find it beneficial. So Thanks for having me and have a great weekend. Wicked. Cheers, Shani. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye.